Amen. You can be seated if you'd like. Try to take our time this morning. One, two, three. Well, we welcome Canada into the service this morning. Yes. John and Alicia, what? Quarantined. Oh, you know, I'm getting sick and tired of this quarantining. Praise be to God. We got a promise, you know, that none of these diseases will come now our dwelling. Amen. I wonder how many is confessing that. You only got one weapon, you know that, don't you? And that's the word in your mouth. And if you don't open your mouth, the devil will beat the tar out of you. But as soon as you open your mouth, it seems like he will retreat. Amen. I want to thank everybody for the gifts and the cards and especially the dinner last week. I didn't even know what was going on. I didn't know I was being appreciated that much, but uh, I had a good Sunday last week. I had air, so God blessed us that way. And so we thank everyone for the cards and the gifts. I've used a couple of them to go out and eat so far, so we appreciate that. How many thinks the parking lot looks better? Amen. I want to thank uh, uh, Brother James and Charles and different ones that had part in doing it all, getting the uh, companies arranged and all of that that went on. And I think James done a lot of the groundwork out here for us from his company, so we appreciate that. It looks almost like we have church out here. Amen. So we want to do that. We'd like to uh, welcome Canada into the service this morning. We see the congregation there may be a little scattered. We don't know what the weather is or the conditions there, but I think pretty soon, about 11 more days, we'll have an election. Can you hear me? All right. I'm just going to talk, try to save the air this morning. Election, and I think then the travel will be over. We'll go, get to go back and uh, be with them for service. It's been quite some time since we have been there, uh, but we're looking forward to that also. Amen. So, if you want to know how I'm doing, I'm doing great. Uh, I think I've had every examination uh, that they got on the calendar. I've been probed by so many machines, I think I'm a machine. But we don't have the test back from this week's survey of basically the stress test, EKGs, all of that. But uh, there is a cause that I don't have oxygen, basically having problems. I uh, understand when they took this exam here, I've performed that uh, uh, test before, EKG, so when I turned this way, I could see the screen, and I could tell that there was a blockage right, right here in the artery there that's having, given me trouble. I don't know if it's over 60 or 70 percent or not, but that may be one of the calls. So they've made arrangements for me to have an appointment with a surgeon or what they call them, whatever they call them. Uh, to see what can be adjusted with this. And we don't know what the other conditions for whether everything is all right or not. This side right here is 100% clean. But this one right here has problems, which I could see that on the screen myself. So we're trusting the Lord that it, uh, it will be all right. I don't like to be cut on. Amen. How many likes to be cut on? That's all right for my wife, but not for me. Amen. She just, she floats in there and looks for the knock me out, and she comes out, and everything's all right. 
I don't like to be knocked out, and I don't like to be cut on because I don't like the after effects of getting all right. So I'm just trusting God. I'm almost over the hill anyway. In other words, like brother, I'm top of the hill, I can see the other side. So I can't really see too much of cutting up an 80-year-old body too much. Uh, we'll just trust God that uh, everything will work out all right. But I'm not stupid enough to they tell me I need something that I won't get it done. All right. So we're just trusting the Lord. We'll see how that works out. So let's go to chapter Romans chapter 4. Uh, this lesson here, we have been on the lesson that we call, and I put the text from the last two lessons in Leviticus in the notes. We won't read but one verse this week, but I put it there as a reminder that we have been looking at the law of the leper, which is the law of cleansing, which we know leprosy types sin. So the law of the leper is basically the law of cleansing or the answer for sin. How can we be cleansed from sin? The sin question has been the question from the Garden of Eden till today. It happened in the Garden, and then what did God do with the sin question to today? That's what we want to know. We want to look at how did the Old Testament saints, how were they justified for the resurrection? What did they do to be able to come out of the grave? And then we'll pick this up uh, as we read the text. This study uh, for Pentecostal people or full gospel people is kind of boring. Because if you're not interested in the intellect, if you're not interested in the detail and the study of the covenant to see what your rights are and how God worked it out, you'll find it a little bit boring or hard to understand. It is not hard to understand if we want to know who we are in Christ. The hardest part I see in sonship is basically seeing our true identity of who we are. That seems to be the problem. Identification means I identify with Jesus. What He done, I, I identify with it. He went to Calvary, da-da-da. But identi true identification is I'm identified in Him Showing who you are as a part of that original seed. Amen. We are a part of God if we are children of God. I look at it as God in the beginning before he basically expressed himself in any form. The invisible spirit, that unknown one back there. He was alone with his own thoughts. It seems to me that in his thoughts he thought this whole plan out for 6,000 years, even into eternity to the kingdom. And he laid it out in his mind, and he laid it out in a book. He wrote it in the stars in creation, and it began to unfold. Everything God spoke begins to unfold. The unfolding of it allows us to understand this invisible force that's behind everything that we are and do. No one has seen God and lived. The only way we can see God is in nature. We can see God in the text. We can see God in the fulfillment of Scripture. We can see God in future tense. We can see God in people. But you'll never really see God. The best and perfect expression of God was in the person of Jesus Christ, the only begotten created Son, who was created in the very image and the very nature and characteristics of His Father. He was a perfect expressed son. 
Now, we know that we today, after 6,000 years of interbreeding, we know that probably 85 to 90 percent of our whole makeup is animal. To be a human being, you have to have a gene or a germ of God that he put in Adam when he breathed into Adam the breath of life and to become a living soul. Your soul is a part of the life stream of God. The intermingling of those two life streams was apart for a long time, and then more they populated until they got down to Noah, and there was only one true son of God or son of Adam left. After that, we see the mixture, whatever more, and all the way to the days of Jesus, and Jesus said basically there was only, what, eight or twelve true seed of God when Jesus come on earth to redeem. From now on, it does not redeem it after the flesh or the lineage. Our tribes identifies us as spiritual genes. And he set forth a plan by spiritual identification and a spiritual law of life that we can identify and know what lineage we are a part of. All right? So we're looking at these two seeds. Now, there's many facets in each group. There's, it could be Hitler, this and what more, and all the way down to just, I just don't believe. There's degrees of sin that we call sin. It's transgressions, iniquities, sins of omission, ignorance, on and on and on. Divisions of sin. We call it sin, but there's divisions of sin. But he was bruised for our transgressions, our iniquities, and by his stripes we were healed. So the work of Christ done many things for us, and we need to understand what the blood done so that we won't be captured in our mind by Satan to talk us out of our identity and cause us to fail to use our authority as sons and daughters of God. Amy is following now. You, by sitting here and identifying yourself with the revealed Word of God, confessing that you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, are saved as far as identifying yourself as a believer. Amen. We are either wise or foolish virgins in that group. We are all sons and daughters of God sitting here this morning by your own confession in the Word of God. He that confesses that God raised Jesus from the dead shall be saved. By your own mouth you have justified yourself or placed yourself in the family of God. Now there's divisions in the family. I'm not Moses, you're not Moses, you're not William Branham, well, different ministers and what is more. There's all com capacities and levels in the family of God. But we're all sons and daughters of God if we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, then what's all the fuss about? Why all the church divisions? Why come here? You're lost if you go there. What are more? What are more? That's just man-made religion and Satan is ahead of it trying to confuse the true sons and daughters of God. So we can rest in our hearts this morning that we are sons and daughters of God. We can be both wise and foolish. And you may be sitting here this morning just an unbeliever. That's between you and God. But my ministry or what we're trying to do for the last 25 years or so is basically the ministry is separating the wise and the foolish not separating them that run you out here, but separating uh, the wise and the foolish by a divine revelation to identify who you are by the Word of God. 
Now the foolish virgins will be dilatory in understanding the word, and they fail to see their identity. But they go to church, they're good people. Like Brother Bram said, you don't come to church to be a bad person. You come to church to be a good person. But very few, there's a few there that hear the Word of God. Amen, that's good. I go to church, what more? And that puts them in a level. But there is some elected few, very, very few. If we've got 10 or 15 bride in here this morning, we've got a majority around the world. There's not very many very elected bride of Christ that will be the Word of God. In other words, your will will be His will. Everything out in your mouth will be according to the Word of God. There's very few people there. So we know that we are believers and we are contending for the revelation now. Seeing the climax that the resurrection will absolutely prove who I am and what part of the body that I am. That's the only way they'll prove it. There's nothing that you could show me this morning. You could preach, you can dance, you can discern, you can heal, you can do any gift that there is in the body of Christ, but would not prove to me that you were the very elected and Brother Branham, Brother Lee asked Brother Branham one time, well, how do you know the elected? He said, only God knows who they are. God knows who's his and where he's got them in. All right? So we're all in the same boat as far as that's concerned. So what we're looking at this morning is how does God basically deal with the sin question now, seeing that we are 90% animal and we only have a shadow of a shadow of the life of God in us that he called the Holy Ghost, how then can he justify us and make us completely righteous and sinless when we're still in a mortal body with failures, transgressions, omissions, whatever more and whatever more senses, attitudes, and you could go on and on and on and on until we become infidels? Then how is God going to make these individuals absolutely righteous sons and daughters of God without imputing one thing to their charge? It's in the Bible, and it comes by a revelation. And that's what this message is all about. This message is to bring forth and call the bride of Christ to the recognition and the identification that she is this spoken word seed bride and the hour that you're living in that he is here, and you have been before the judge, and you have been found not guilty. Now, do we have that confession? Is it cold in here? Is, are y'all cool? Is it all right? Or is it cool? Do what? Well, I'm middle-aged, too. I mean, I'm all right with cool. <laughs> I mean, if we're, if we're cooling off the hot flashes, I'm all right with that. Are you comfortable? Just don't sit there and go like this on me. Just kind of relaxing. So this is what we're looking at. In the day of cleansing gives us a picture, a type, something that we can look at to see how God has done it. Because if God hasn't already done it, it won't be done. What I'm trying to get across to you, that you're not struggling, you're not striving, you're not uh, warring, to be a believer or a Christian, to be a son and daughter of God, and to stay saved. What I'm trying to get you to see is the revelation is that you are a son of God, a daughter of God, and the Spirit is here to reveal to you who you are. Who you are. You may be dilatory. You may be lazy. 
You may not like to work. You may not like to read the Bible. You may not like to do a lot of things. That's God's problem with you as his child. Now, we, I only had one daughter, and she was perfect. So I don't understand those lessons of raising these disobedient children, one going this way, one going that way, and one screaming, one hollering. No, mine was perfect, never done anything wrong. If she did, the whole church let me know. But you know by family, Jacob, I love you, Esau, I hate you. You can, come out of the, you can have twins, and one go one way and one the other. You can have five kids, one of them be a preacher, and the other three be drunks and sinners and whatever more. So how did that happen? How can a couple produce a, a preacher and also produce a Jacob, Esau, or a drunk, or whatever more? Out of the same union, same whatever more. You say, oh, I don't know about that. It's election. Election. Life stream. Now, people don't want to accept it because they reserve to themselves the right to make a decision. You think this morning that you have a, a right or a choice to serve God or not to serve God, to come, to go, to not to come, to not to go, whatever more. Well, if you reserve your right to have that choice, then you're in trouble. Because you will never exercise your choice to do right without the Holy Spirit pushing you to make the decision to do His will instead of what you're wanting to do. Amen? How hard is it to push away a cake when you're on a diet? If you had your choice, you'd eat two pieces. But if you forfeit your choice, if you forfeit your will, you'll say, no, that's not for me, and you get the benefits from it. God put the tree in the front of the first couple and he said, what did he, the only thing he said is, don't eat of that tree right there. Now, that's simple. Just don't eat of that tree. Everything else is all right. But when he spoke the word, don't eat of that tree, that law, that commandment, don't do it, activated something to cause a desire to do it. The more you live under law, the more sinful you will be. You have to come to the place that you are saved by the grace of God through election and predestination plus nothing you do in yourself. If you will accept that and confess it, you'll find that your confession begins to work out in you everything God calls sons and daughters of God. The knowledge, understanding, and everything will begin to come forth out of you because the soul begins to nourish and flourish itself into its very invisible image of God. Your soul is a part of God. All right. So this is what we're looking for. How this law of cleansing of sin... The law of leprosy is exactly how God cleansed us of sin. I've said all along, if you ask any preacher or any religion, the problem in the world today is what we call sin. Then how are we ever going to take care of the sin problem that we can be children of light or know how to do right from wrong? Or can we? Is it impossible for a person today to become what God declared as righteous? Now, when you say righteous, what are you thinking about? Righteous means 
God has nothing against you. You're standing in the presence of God without any condemnation. Now, every one of us feels a little condemned when we approach the Word of God, especially when it requires and shows the attributes of what we should be and what we should be like and what we should be doing and what we should not be doing. So that's what we want to look at this morning. Can the statement of Brother Branham, I, I ministered this 20-something years ago, almost 25 or 30 years ago now, and I got kicked out of the message and whatever more. I think now some of them begin to accept it. Brother Branham stated in 1964 and 65 that we were the very righteous, sinless, spotless bride of Jesus Christ, that we are standing before God who is here with Him as sinless, justified as though we never done it in the first place. That's where you stand if you embrace the word for this hour. He put it down to take his word for it. Then most people rebel back because they're saying, well, who is he to say, take my word for it? Then I ask you the question, who was Moses to say that? Who was the apostle Paul to say that? Who was Jesus that could say that and they killed him for it? They killed the apostle Paul for it. They tried to kill the Apostle John for saying the same thing, but they didn't get the job done. He boiled him at all, and he, he got there all he did. It was a warm bath. The whole key to God's plan is he has individuals that he uses. And that seed in you, that soul in you, has the ability to hear that small voice of God and receive it as God and confess it to confirm it to your life and identify who you are. If you hear it and say, well, I agree with that, I believe that, but unless you confess it out of your mouth, you are not justified. Jesus said a man is condemned or he is justified, made righteous now by the words out of his own mouth. But people have a problem of declaring themselves righteous when they argue with their husband in the morning before they go to work. Because one or the other is either a little more spiritual than the other. They say, oh, and you think you're righteous and you do so and so and so and so. Well, then if you're saying that, what do you think about you? Well, then you must not be righteous. You must be a hypocrite, but you go to church and you say you are. Well, now we got a problem. Now we got two make-believers. Because if there was both two, their confession would be the same. Are you following? And there's where we find it. All right. In Romans, I could go on and on and just keep talking. But in Romans chapter 4, what we want to see, we're moving this question now over to this hour. How can a prophet tell me and you that you are now justified before God? That you're now under the Feast of Tabernacles, which is perfection, which is basically already judged, sentence already pronounced, you are sealed in, it can't be changed, and you have been found innocent, not guilty, with the seal of God already stamped on you. 
That's what we're trying to tell you that you are this one. Now, if you won't believe that, if, if, why would you fight me to try to convince you that you are what the Bible says you are? Why would you want to argue with a minister when he's telling you what the God says about you? That you're here claiming that you want to be, but you think you know better than God. Why don't you open your mouth and say, well, I know I'm rotten, but if God says I'm good, I'll, I'll take the reward anyway. How did Abraham make it? Oh, Abraham was a great guy. God had to put him to sleep. When he made a covenant with him, he had to put him to sleep so he wouldn't put his nose in the affair. And God made a covenant with him while he was asleep and woke him up and said, you're righteous. And I think God ought to do us that. Put us to sleep and wake us up one morning and say, you're righteous. We say, praise God, I'm righteous. Hallelujah. I'm the bride. I stand justified. Glory to God. No enemies, no problems, whatever more. I have got it made. Praise God. Then we could come together and offer our sacrifice of praise, giving glory to who we are, what we are, and what he's already done for us. So if I can find out how Abraham and, say, David and the prophets and all these people in the Old Testament, if I can find out how they got out of the grave, how did they get out of the grave? How were they made righteous? Oh, you say David was a man after God's own heart and committed adultery, killed a man's wife, husband, and everything else. David was a scoundrel. He had a sex problem, if you want to put it in modern-day language. Moses, basically, was a murderer. He killed a couple of guys and turned, covered it up and got caught in it. It's a camera, and it was a camera in them days, too. You can't do nothing in secret. Where is this righteous guy that you can find in the Old Testament that you say, well, now, he was righteous, he done good, but he, that's the reason he come out of the grave. Not a one of them. So how did they get out of there? What happened to make them righteous to change their body to a glorified body? If I can find that, I can find out what it's going to take for me to have a resurrection and a glorified body. You want to follow me? So let's look in Romans, Paul tells it, because that was the mystery given to the Apostle Paul. Uh, Romans 4, what shall we say then about that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? Now watch, pertaining to the flesh. For if Abraham were justified by works, in other words, made righteous by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. I see real quick that God doesn't accept works as any much benefits. All right. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And the word righteousness there is the same word as justification, as though he never done it. Then, but what made him righteous? You say, well, he believed God. Did that make him righteous? Because if it made Abraham righteous, it will make me righteous. Because he was the father of faith. So he believed something that made him righteous. Watch. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. Watch now. But to him that worketh not, 
but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now, who is he believing on that would justify the ungodly? The Father, I'll put it that way, or the Son? The Father. You say, well, I thought I was saved by Jesus. Well, let's keep reading. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. What did he have faith in? What did this man have faith in that made him righteous? He had to have faith in something. Notice. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Now, that's a strong statement. Luther and Wesley in that age argued with this over and over and over and over. To me, Luther was one of the greatest writers and the greatest works of justification that we've had uh, in, in the time of the church. You go back and read some of his studies, he can get deep with you. Verse 7, saying, blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven. Now, iniquities, what is iniquities? Knowing, Brother Sam, knowing to do right and not doing it. Well, I know I need to go to church. I need to know this. I need to do that. I know one, but not do it. Well, then that's iniquity. Well, then how do you take care of that? See, how do you take care of that? What's transgressions? Transgressing the law. The law said don't eat. You eat. The law said don't go. You go. The law says 15. You do 60. That's transgression of the law. What's the sin of ignorance? Well, you do something that you don't know nothing about. What's the sin of omission? What's the sin of this and that? What's the unpardonable sin? What is sin? Where did sin start? We got this big sin problem, this great evil problem. Where did sin start from? Well, the best I can find, the Bible said God created evil. Hmm. Let's put it, God created the evil one. Lead us from temptation don't deliver us to the evil one. Who, who was this one that God created that was iniquity? Now, that's no one to do right and not do it. Iniquity was found in him. Satan was a created angel, perfect in all of his ways, the most perfect work that God ever done in a creation. But the Bible says iniquity was found in in him. I said, oh, oh, God slipped up. He messed up. How did God not know that there was iniquity in him and he is the one that created him? So he was perfect until iniquity showed up in him. How did it show up? I think I'm going to make my kingdom. Remember, Satan was the leader in worship. He was a brilliant musician, bright, always Bible describes him. He led the angels in worship. He was the anointed cherub. And he got so much that they were praising God and the service got so good and the anointing was and they run around the building and praised God that wonderful things was happening and he was false anointed. He got to thinking, well, look, I am somebody. Look, everybody, I'm leading the worship. I can sing and bring them up here to the glory. I can get them crying, whatever more. But he said, so I think I, my kingdom, my ministry is greater than Christ. So I think I'm going to make my kingdom, I'm going to build my own church, and I'm going to make my kingdom greater than God's kingdom. 
So I will, I will, I will, I will. So he used what? He used his, what we would call a choice, free moral agency, to make a decision, I will do this, I will do that. And he started a war in heaven. And Michael and Lucifer come to a war, and he was cast down here to earth, and the battle went to the Garden of Eden, and here we are coming down to the end of the Battle of Armageddon. We'll end this whole conflict of the two seeds here on earth. Iniquity was found in him. There is the origin of sin. So we find it in the garden that the serpent was anointed also. So under the false anointed, there was a preacher that preached to Eve. And he was anointed. And she got caught up in his sermon. And she began to believe and she become a disciple. And she gave herself to the serpent. And there's where it started. Now then we have a mixture, a law started that no man but except God can unfold. And he knows every gene, every soul that's on the Lamb's book of life, he will redeem it. And there will not be one seed that was in Adam, that original seed that brought the apple tree. There won't be one seed in Adam that will be lost. Amen. Well, that's what the Bible teaches. Blessed is the man to whom God will not impute sin. So what we're looking at is what is this sin? What is this subject from Genesis to Revelation all about sin? How did all these people make it? There was a prophecy, I believe, in what is it, Genesis 3.15. When they messed up, what did God say? I'm going to bring the seed of the woman... And he will bruise the head of the serpent. Every church theologian and every preacher with their salt understands that that was the promise of the coming of Christ to take care of the sin question. They don't believe in serpent seed, but they know the woman's seed was Christ. Because the woman doesn't have a seed, so God created in her both elements to produce a seed called the woman's seed or Christ. That seed was promised to come and basically redeem by the shedding of his blood, which all these types and shadows, the law, leprosy, and the ceremonies, the washing, the tabernacle, the temple, of Mo, all these types over and over the feasts and everything, told you over and over and over the cycle that God will carry you through to bring you to this conclusion. He's going to take care of sin. God, you say, well, how come, I can ask the question, how come God allowed it to happen? If he knew that it was going to work out like this, how can God allow all this to happen and 99% of the people turn out to be serpent seed and just a very few, one out of a hundred or one out of a million make it? Now, if I was God, I would make it uh, 99 out of a hundred mine because I'm kind of choicey. I'm not going to, Create something and let the devil get 99 out of 100. Me just end up with one. Can, can you God create everything and he only ends up with one out of 100? What kind of God are we, we serving? What's going on here? That's what it looks like. Well, God's not in control no more. God's in perfect control. 
Well, if God was in control, how come we got all these problems out here? Because he's in control. Because he told you all these problems are coming. I can take you to the book of Revelation and show you this COVID virus that's among us to now, exactly what it said it would do, or the prophet said it would come, exactly what it would affect, and everything else. He's bringing us to the conclusion of humanity for the great battle of Armageddon. The time of the Gentiles had been fulfilled. But thanks be to I can almost get happy and preach. Uh, thanks be to God, he come down himself, and God knew who was his, and by a unique method of you hearing was quickened to a truth, and he placed you over here as a son of God, sealed and imputed righteousness to you, and put a seal on it, and said, inspected, no one touch it no more. Oh, you mean to Brother Gregory, I can go out here and do anything I want to do? I said, you can always do whatever you want to do. Well, what if I go out here and do this and that? Well, go on out there. But if you're a seed of God, I guarantee your Heavenly Father will give you a spanking, and He knows how to get your attention greater than we do our children. We give up on ours, but He cannot give up on His because you are a part of Him to start with. We're only the expression of this great invisible being. All right, let's continue on with Romans 4. Let's drop down to verse 13. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. How many know that he had seed through the law now? But through the righteousness of faith. Now, you could preach another six months on basically Isaac coming being the promised son, offering up the sacrifice, bottom on, on, and on, and on. You have a promised seed there. Not these other ones, many children, Ishmaels, and all these tribe and infidels and Muslims and whatever more and whatever more. They repopulate like rabbits, whatever more. Thank God you was born in America where you could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, what's that got to do with it? Well, what if you was born in the jungle back there with a bunch of heathens that offered up babies for sacrifices? Your virtue then was I offered up my child for a sacrifice. Glory to God, I am righteous before God. Every person has some kind of religion. There's something in every man to make them know that there is a higher power somewhere. And there's an inner knowledge knowing that this life will come to an end and you've got to meet something out there somewhere after this life is over. That is in every individual. They say, well, I don't believe in God. You can say all you want to about I don't believe in God. But you bring you down to a crisis. You bring you down to the showdown. The greatest atheist in the world ended up calling out to God for help at the deathbed. What is that in you that has an instinct or knowledge that you know there is a God out there somewhere? God. How many knows that now, since <laughs> there has been a separation of the wise and the foolish, basically? That separation is, like I said, not physically, but separate spiritually, a revelation. I can have a revelation that you don't have. I can understand something to you. I don't have a clue what that is. There's different levels in what you understand, what you believe, your sincerity. God knows every one of them. 
But there's a vision now of separation in identity and knowing who you are. And it's brought out by the confession of the mouth. I keep repeating that to identify who you are. And you don't come to church now. All right, church, this group over here comes to worship. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's wonderful. But the bride don't come to church to worship now, per se. We come to fellowship with each other around the revelation of who we are as children of God. There is fellowship with God and there is worship of God. Fellowship knows, uh, fellowship speaks of knowing who you are, what you are, that we're not servants or we are friends. Worship means there's a God out there somewhere, and if I work hard enough and I do enough, I'll get His attention. Praise God. I'm glad we're fellowshipping together around the Word this morning. Watch. For the promise that He should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath. So much for the law. I was the legalist the first 23 years of my experience. And those that was around me or with me, every Wednesday night we had a legal test. We just beat the hell out of everybody and basically dangle them over the fire to see if they go wiggle or change. <laughs> Sunday morning we would repeat it and see if they'd come to the altar in front of everybody and repent of their sins or how rotten they was the past week and get things all right. Or if a stranger come in, we preach on whatever we see wrong with them. You remember that? We had an evangelist come here one time. And invited him back for too long. Oh, he was preaching this while you was here. Pants and women's hair, whatever more, whatever more. Oh, Brother Gregory, that woman there. I said, that's the first time I've ever seen that woman. She's a visitor. But I doubt if she'll ever come back. Because you put her in hell before you got her to Christ. Who made you the judge? We are not judges. And we have no right to judge. We stand before the judge and let him judge us. And hopefully he'll say, not guilty. Amen? Work with me this morning. Because the law worketh wrath. So the more law I put on you, the more wrath and sin is going to stir up. For where no law is, I love this one, for where no law is, there is no transgression. If I can ever take care of the law of sin and death, I'm out of here. What is this law of sin and death? The law of sin was the law. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And was not one man, not even Moses, the one that gave the law, was able to keep the law. Because Moses was told to speak to the rock to get water. He got angry and he struck the rock and it didn't come out. And he struck the rock again and God vindicated him and brought it out to prove that he was the vindicated messenger. But it cost him the promised land. Brother Branham in the meeting, they trapped him into the point. We said it many times. He got trapped into the service and they said, bring your worst case of healing. And I guarantee healing. They was questioning the healing. Hmm. They brought this uh, little girl up, and we told it many times. The best thing of she looked like spaghetti. His arms, her arms and legs was wound up. She was about ten or twelve years old. Must have been skinny. What more? Everything was locked up, just like a spaghetti. 
He sat there two hours. Brother Lee said he was in the service. He sat there two hours. And all of a sudden she began to unwind. He said she put on flesh. She put on appearance. Her body popped in. Joints popped out. She popped right out and run right down the middle of the aisle. And everybody rejoiced. Oh, they had a wonderful time. But he said, the prophet told him, he said, now after I got out of that meeting, God said, you messed up. How did I mess up, Lord? You promised something that you cannot produce for everyone. Now everyone will want that, and it's not for them. Amen. You mean the prophet messed up? Yep. Angel walked around in front of him, shook his finger. Don't do that no more. You're making a show out of it. Don't take this power and this ministry and make a show out of it. You're causing impersonation. Don't do that. Was he guilty then of being what we would call imperfect? Did he make mistakes? Absolutely. Oh, Brother Brown never made a mistake. He was No, 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 no. He made mistakes and God corrected him. He was sick for a year and almost died because he went down into Africa over there and preached where God told him not to go preach. Surely God wouldn't be so upset that he put him on his deathbed because he went and preached a sermon about Jesus Christ and he healed the sick there? Yes, sir. Why? Because he was here for a purpose and he had to keep in line for that purpose. He was an example. Oh, then we got to be. No, no, we, was not, we are not like Brother Branham. We can absolutely make mistakes. We will make mistakes. We will do things that we don't even know that we're doing wrong. And God has a covering for it. I'm not telling you to go out here, smoke, drink, chew, and whatever more. Say, I'm covered. No, no, I'm telling you about ignorance. If you willfully go do it, that's the unpardonable sin. You have sinned. I'm talking about doing things that you just do. What happens when someone... Man, I'm up my hours almost. I've got to another. What happens when these idiots cut you off in the traffic? When these good people cut you off in the traffic? I've been listening to Trump too much. <laughs> I like him myself. I, I think he's great. <laughs> he says it just like I'd probably say it because I don't have enough sense to say it the other way. And I don't know how to lie without sounding like I'm lying. He don't either. But what happens when the, these idiots cut you off in the traffic? You just, God bless them, Lord. Bless that person, Lord. They didn't mean to do it, Lord. Don't hold that to their charge. No, Lord. You say, yeah, you idiot. Why don't you go to so-and-so? Oh, we're born again. We got the Holy Ghost, glory to God. We got the love just pouring out of our veins. And then when you come to church, then you feel, uh-oh. Why do you feel condemned? Why do you feel condemned? I'll tell you why. It's because the blood is speaking for you. Any person that went to church and heard the gospel preached and something convicted them in their heart, made them feel like, oh, oh I, I'm wrong. I need to repent. I need to change. I, I, I need to uh, confess. I need to do something. You know what happened? 
What caused you to feel like that was that the blood that covered you had already spoken for your sins. And the results come down to you. And you feel the conviction that the blood has already done. And you express what the blood done by saying, I shouldn't have done that. God forgive me. You're forgiven before you confess. If the conviction of the blood doesn't come down and convict you to confess your wrongs, then there's no blood speaking for you. Come on, say amen to this absolute. If we sin, miss the mark. How many missed the mark this week? I missed the mark. We miss the mark every day. That's the reason I say thanks be to God for God's sovereign grace to me that covered me before the foundation of the world. And I'm not afraid of making a mistake tomorrow. I'm not going to willfully go out here and run over somebody. But if I do, I know I have an advocate with the Father that if I confess my sins, He's faithful and just to forgive me of sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. You say, well, my Lord, being a Christian is no more than then open your mouth and confess. That's what I've been trying to tell you all along. You're just as righteous as you say you are. You're just as sinless as you pronounce you are. Because the law of conviction or confession, once you begin to confess, I'm not a smoker, I'm not a drinker, I'm a Christian, that law of confession will go to work on your spirit, your mind, and your soul to make you be and become what you're saying that you are. You'll never be a believer until you confess that you are. I'm not even going to get to the text this morning to even get to the sermon. Watch. Therefore it is a faith that it might be by grace to the end of the promise might be sure to all the seed. To who? All the seed. Not to that only which is of the law. But to that also which is of the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all. Now remember Paul has a revelation and the ministry of the gospel, the power of faith to faith to deliver you from the power of sin. Paul had the true revelation to make you a virtuous bride of Jesus Christ. That's the reason we have to get back to Ephesus, back to Paul's gospel. Because the revelation given to the Apostle Paul made that first little element of the church a virtuous bride of Jesus Christ. They had the ability to go be married to the bridegroom as a one sinless. But all of a sudden the elders and the preachers got into it and they thought they could do it a little more. And we understand that they left their first love, which is the, re the original revelation given to Paul. They would not accept the grace of God and the atonement by the blood was the answer for sin. Because it didn't make a whole group. It wouldn't form a religion. It wouldn't give you something to do, to something to join, to something to work out your salvation. It, it won't sell candles. How many is following me now? See, you can't buy your way out of this. There's no penance for this. This is coming humbly to the Word of God, knowing without His grace, without His mercy, without the blood, you're just a sinner going to hell. That's all there is to it. You are lost. But if you have enough umption in your heart to come and see, I am a sinner. I need help. 
praise God, I'm in trouble, and there's no way that I can get out of it because I'm born in this sinful body. Did God provide a way? Yes. The answer is in this book. And the one way was faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This book has one answer for sin. From Genesis, the garden, to the heavenly kingdom, everyone that gets there will get there one way. Faith in Jesus Christ, period. Amen. Amen. Let's skip down. We just preach forever on it. But being fully persuaded that what he promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. That was not written for his sake alone, but it was imputed to him. But for us to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe, watch now. But to us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Now who do you have to believe on? You say, well, I had to believe on Jesus. He died for me. No, no, no. You've got to believe on the one that raised up Jesus from the dead. We got last week to Jesus become sin. He went to the lower region. If God had not raised him up, if God had not justified him by his own judicial ability and sovereignty... Every person in paradise, Abraham, Isaac, all of those great, wonderful saints you read about, they would have stayed in the lower region. They would have stayed locked up. No one would come out of the grave. But we understand the Bible tells us that when Jesus arose from the grave, he was justified. And when he rose up from the grave, many of those that were in the graves come forth with him. I love this one now. Walked around the city of Jerusalem, appeared unto many that knew them as a witness that Jesus was the Messiah. So we're looking for a resurrection. And those that we know will come to us. We will see them. They will appear to us and make us know that the resurrection is at hand that this message, this revelation of Jesus Christ is true. And the resurrection will vindicate that you are a true son and daughter of God. And those that will not be changed will not see any of the sleeping saints. They won't know nothing about what's going on. Except, maybe, I don't know, except that the sleeping virgins may appear to them as a witness of the resurrection and they won't be changed but they'll understand that they have to die as a witness to the message how are you going to know where the resurrection took place? if you're a foolish virgin how are you going to know the resurrection is over someone has to appear and let someone know what's going on as a witness that it's fulfilled. You say, oh, there's going to be a secret rapture. Nobody's going to know. Oh, yes, they're going to know. The foolish virgins are going to know. 
Because that revelation, Carrie, you want to come? I took my time to. Uh, can I get through? Go ahead and continue to pick this law up next week. We want to look at this law. They're going to know that the resurrection has taken place. And by that revelation, they will have then the ability, the instinct, and the knowledge of knowing they have to give their life for the gospel. The reason why is because they would not accept the atonement of the blood of Jesus Christ in its fullness. They still think there is something to do about sin. Every religion, every church service this morning, no matter what subject they're preaching on, they're will bring an acknowledgement of sin. So fundamentals has come to the place, we are sinners saved by grace, hallelujah. We are not sinners saved by grace. We are sons and daughters of God that has been redeemed by the promise of the woman's seed who has already come, already shed his blood, God has already proved that he was the answer for sin because he brought the sleeping saints under the law out of the grave and not a one of them in the grave was justified, made righteous by anything that they'd done. If I took the lesson this morning, you read uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews, every person, every saint, everyone that will come to life Come there by faith in the promise of God through faith. Grace provided you a way, provided you a message, provided you a revelation, provided you the means. Like I said, if you was born in Africa this morning, you would know nothing about the gospel. You'd be swinging on vines and hunting something for, to eat. If he was born in a Muslim kingdom, a Muslim family, you'd be a Muslim. Your surroundings, whatever more. You wasn't born there. Follow. If you had the ability, and some people don't, to put your hand over pockets of Christianity today. They looked at it in the last 10 years. Why all the problems in the world? And I'll close. Where there's pockets of Christianity... There is less judgment, less sickness, less poverty, less problems. Where there's a lack of God and heathenism, you're in a miniature tribulation period now. Depravity, famine, disease, slaughter, all the things that you think only heathens will do. Child, slaves, buying and selling, cocaine, rotten. The more sinful they are, the more judgments are in the land. Why is California burning? Why all of this chaos? You'll find that there are pockets of the most sinful group there is in America. Hollywood will sink in the ocean. Praise be to God. I'm glad that we're in the heart <laughs> of America, pretty close to where God took up his camp. That's right in the center of America. We are saved by grace. You are predestinated before the foundation of the world. God knew you. He knows you. He got you safe. He's got you sealed. And he will keep us all the way to the end. That's the reason why he called you under the 
Feast of Tabernacles, we are feasting on the revelation that we are saved by the grace of Almighty God, period. And we will not be lost, and we will not go through the tribulation, and we will not suffer the diseases that's coming upon America. This little virus is just not even like a toothache. They already told you 99 and 9 tenths of the people that gets this little virus will recover. Except the old people like me that's got diabetes, high blood pressure, and heart problems. They said, how come you're so stressed? I said, I'm not stressed. I thought I was sitting there calm as a cucumber and they put blood pressure on it. It was 196 over 100 something. Said, well, you're hyper to the core. I said, well, I ain't hyper. I'm just as calm as I can be. Must have been something going on in there that I didn't know nothing about. Well, I said, this condition, this room, this must be this floor here. Anybody comes on this floor, probably got high blood pressure. When you come up here on the heart floor, you got high blood pressure. Amen. But I said, I know one thing. Down in my heart, I'm all right. Amen. That's where the Holy Ghost lives. That's where the Spirit of God is. That's where my soul lives. It may have heart trouble. I said, Lord, you can rebuild the building. You can clean the blood. You can renew my strength. I'm batting my head against the rock, so I'll be renewed like an eagle. Amen? Amen. We're in moping season. The old body's 80 years old, but God has kept it healthy all this long. And he'll give me strength to preach the last sermon one of these days. And the last one will be just as good or better than the first one. Praise God. Because when you can't preach to the best of the ability, it's time to move the old goat over and let an eagle come in and feed you the rest of the way. Oh, we want these young guys, these young guys. These young guys don't have a clue what the message is about. Oh, you said, I know that. I know. Mm -mm. It's been over for 25 or 30 years. They're just now catching up with what God done. And when they begin to catch up, Brother Branham said, see, they can only get it after the bride has preached it, become a part of that, and moved on. We have moved on. We knew that we were the sinless, virtuous bride of Jesus Christ 25 years ago. Amen. Do they find out? Oh, they might find out. And I say, preach it, praise God, preach it because it's the truth. But where have we been for 25 years? What is actually going on? Where are we? I say we're under the Feast of Tabernacles. We are sealed. We are resting under the Word of Almighty God. And we'll look at this sin question because, look, you and I never done it in the first place. You said, I know I've done it. Then you need to come next two or three weeks because I'm going to prove to you that a seed of God never done it. Amen. Let's stand this morning. I, I, just, I guess I just let it drift along here and preach the morning. But that's all right. I made it through it anyway. Still got a little wind left. Read the notes. I began, I said, Lord, I put these notes down to work all week to make a, a lesson verse by verse, a statement by statement, and I only get just to the introduction. And I find out the people out there in TV land or whatever, they hear the sermon, amen, but they don't get the notes that cuts our guzzle out, that really gets down to the nitty-gritty. That really separates revelation from non-revelation. They never get the teaching part of it. And I think it's all designed by God. You know why? Because basically if we're sons and daughters of God. 
To put it plainly, you don't even need a preacher except just a, someone to keep your attention while we're gathering together. What am I going to do for you to change you? If you're a son of God, I can't change you. What if you're a serpent seed? I couldn't change you. You say, well, I think I can change seed. Well, I don't think so. How, can a leopard change his spots or whatever more? You are what you are. And you need to find out what you are. Well, what if I find out I'm not a believer? Well, then why don't you find out how to become a believer? Well, I want to do this. I guess I'm going to hell. Well, with that attitude, I guess you are. Jesus is not sitting up here wringing his hands. Oh, I wish they'd come. I wish they'd come in. I wish they'd come in. Oh, I don't know. Oh, maybe they'll choose me today. No, no, no. He's not up there crying and wringing his hands, wondering whether you're going to accept him or not. He already knew before the foundation of the world whether he was going to confess him or not. Are you following me this morning? How many believes that to be the truth? How many will worship or offer your sacrifice of praise to God and open your mouth and tell Him, I am the righteousness of God and I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that saved me before the foundation of the world. That is your sacrifice of praise. There's where we worship. What are we going to sing, Ken? Hmm? Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Every day, don't be ashamed to say that you know Him. How many believers that we have in here this morning? Let's offer up our sacrifice of praise this morning to God. Amen. Oh, take up your cross and follow Jesus. Take up your cross. Every day, don't be ashamed to say that you know Him. Now the cause. Turn around and give Canada away this morning. Thank them for being in the service. Amen. Take it. Take up your cross. Turn around and shake hands with each other. Amen. Say, God bless you, brother. God bless you, my sister. Don't be ashamed to say that you know him. Count the cost. Take up your cross. Follow him. Amen. Take up your cross and follow him. I was sitting in the, up there after a they put this dye in my veins. I was sitting there drinking water. I was supposed to drink water. There's another guy sitting over there, and I, I got the feeling that he, the way he acted, I thought he was almost a Democrat, but uh, <laughs> he was real quiet, and I guess he was afraid I was a Democrat because he wouldn't want to say anything. I said, well, are you going to watch the debate tonight? Yes, sir. Oh, I, I thought, uh-oh, now I got me one here. Yes, sir. I'm a Trump fan. I said, a Trump fan? Yes, sir. There wasn't but two or three of us in there, so he, he thought he was pretty safe, you know. Well, I said, well, I kind of lean that way myself, you know. He said, I got my Trump hat. I said, well, I'm not, I'm not that big a fan yet. I, I, don't, ha I don't have a Trump hat, but uh, yeah, I got my Trump hat. He said, I went out and I put on my Trump hat. 
And I was walking along in a store, and he said, this woman come up, knocked my truck hat off my head, and began to call me names I can't even tell you. I said, in other words, she was excited, right? She was excited. I said, wouldn't it be wonderful if Christians had that much zeal to open their mouth and take a stand for Jesus Christ? Amen. You got to take up your cross. You got to stand alone. I put a quote in your lesson this morning. Luther had to stand alone. They kicked him out of the church. Moved on to sanctification. Wesley, they kicked him out of the church. Moved on to Pentecost. They ostracized them. Now Pentecost made their rules and regulations, false evidence of the Holy Ghost on and on. And now then, we come with this message, and now we have to stand alone. Every group of people will be outcast. They will be rejected, and they must take a stand for the word of the hour to be approved of Almighty God. You will have your cross. You will have your testimony. You will have to take a stand one day or the other. So I think we ought to start practicing now, don't you? We got a perfect sacrifice called Jesus, and we come to offer up our sacrifice every Sunday morning, and our sacrifice is the sacrifice of praise, giving praise to what He has already done for me to make me free from sin and walk under the blessings of Almighty God. You and I now are under the spiritual feast of tabernacles, the seven final feast of perfection. We are sealed in waiting for the promise of the resurrection. Amen and amen. So take up your cross. Put the word in your mouth. Don't be afraid to say that you are the righteousness of God. And don't be afraid to say I am the sinless, virtuous bride of Jesus Christ. Identify who you are, that you are married to the Word of God. My soul is married to the Word because it was Word. Amen. And if I'm Word, then there's not one word in this Bible that I won't agree with. Pentecostals say, well, speaking in tongues is evidence of the Holy Ghost. My question is this. How can you have a false evidence and have the true baptism of the Holy Ghost I don't think you can have a false evidence and still have the true spirit about it so if speaking in tongues is not the evidence that you're truly born again but you call that evidence of the Holy Ghost and then turn around and reject the word of God something is wrong with something in here amen we will say amen to the Word of God. Amen. Oh, so all right. Now, take up your cross. Let's offer up our sacrifice of praise. Lifting up holy hands without any reservation. Don't worry about who's around you. We're worshiping God now in the fellowship of each other. We're one big family. Family. And I got to live with you guys a long time. Amen. But I've consoled myself to what? We will grow better after a while. Amen. We'll get all this straightened out in the millennium and we'll be perfect. Amen. Oh, take up your cross.